Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. The Bible says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You may be seated. Last week, we began by looking at this section that has come to be known as the Ten Commandments, and this is a a repeating of those which are originally found in the book of Exodus in chapter 20. And as the people of God are about to enter the promised land, God once again reaffirms these commandments with His people. And so as we began to look at them last week, we saw that these are essential commands for those who are delivered from bondage. The people of God had been in bondage in Egypt. They had been there for quite some time, many generations, and they had never known, as a matter of fact, those who would come out of Egypt with Moses had never known freedom. They had never known what it was like to not live under the bondage of Egyptian slavery. And so they were brought out of that uh, through God's grace and through God's leading. They were brought out from this bondage and they had been delivered to the promised land, but they were not ready to enter in. As a matter of fact, they reject God whenever God gives them that command. They're afraid. And so through that, God ends up, as they wander around in the wilderness, giving them this this great body of literature that we have there in the first five books and primarily in Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, this this law that God gives them to instruct them about how they're to live now that they have been freed from bondage. And one of the things that I always think is interesting is churches are, it's, it's not uncommon to have churches that Um, display the Ten Commandments. There have been legal fights in our country about whether or not the Ten Commandments can be displayed in public places and are they religious or are they simply legal codes. And of course, our own legal code and our society in general is based on the foundational premise of these laws. As a matter of fact, that's true in many countries and in many cultures that, that these laws, or at least some of them, become the premise and the basis for people's legal systems. But it would be unwise for us to display these and say that we believe these things if we had not explored them to the the, uh, end that we could understand what they mean because we need to understand them in context of Christ. And so this morning we're going to see that really pick up because we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 5 for our first law here, but then for the other two, I'm going to ask you, and you know this is uncommon for me, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to another section of the scriptures so that we can look more closely at those. So this morning we look at these three laws, these three essential commands for those who have been delivered from bondage. The first we see there, picking up in verse 16, the first command that is essential for someone who has been delivered from bondage is the requirement by God that we honor our father and our mother. 
He says there that you should honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you. This was an important um, law that God had given, and it's one that we see predates what is being given here. This is not simply the first time this has been mentioned, but this has been something that God has seen as important from the beginning. It is important, it is vital that a person who wants to have a relationship with God, who is in a relationship with God, who is following after God, realizes the necessity of honoring their father and their mother. He says you should do this that your days may be long. Now, this doesn't go back to the old country saying, maybe your mother said this to you at some point where you were not listening to her very well. Something to the effect of, I brought you into this world and I can do what? Take you out of it, right? Anyone's mother ever said that to them? Okay, maybe a few. Anyone ever truly believed that their mother had the capacity to do that? Yes. If she was willing to say that, she probably had the capacity and the ability to take you from this world, and depending on the jury, might have got away with it. It's very possible. That's not exactly what he is talking about here, although it is maybe a foundation of that saying that we might see this, but but what is the thought here? Well, if, if you are a person who refuses to listen to your mother and father, Normally, this is not every circumstance, but normally you're going to be prone to doing things that may very well shorten your life. Because often it is our mother and our father that give us instruction, that give us uh, direction, that prevent us from doing things that put us in danger. We think about the child that's about to run out into traffic and you grab the child and you may hurt the child's arm or you may hurt the child's leg if you grab them but isn't that better than getting hit by a car i saw that there was a story don't know it all don't want to endorse anything but a story in louisiana this week where a mother caught her three sons breaking into a neighbor's house and she whooped the fool out of them and there were people calling for her to be charged with some type of assault that could carry a life sentence Now, fortunately, I think for society, those charges have been dropped, and hopefully they'll stay that way. But what was she doing? Well, she saw that her sons were going down a path that was going to lead them to destruction. And so she weighed her options, and the options were allow them to continue on this path or discipline them in a manner to correct their behavior. And she chose to do that. Personally, I think she should be awarded some type of medal for it, not indicted on charges, but that's my own personal opinion. He says, honor your father and mother as the Lord has commanded you that you may be, or that your days may be long. We understand that a person who has decided to dishonor their mother and father normally is going down a road, normally this person is going down a road that is going to lead to their destruction. And many times, this, this path that they're on may very well lead to their early death. And so he says, honor your father and mother because they know better than you. They know more than you. And they're attempting to give you direction that leads to life. 
He says, honor your father and mother as the Lord has commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. What is it that their mother and father had seen that would help them in the land that they were going? Think about the context of what has happened here. The people who are now mothers and fathers are the very ones who had been children and witnessed what God had done when His people had been disobedient. And so if we go back just a little ways in the Old Testament, we see these children and these teenagers who are standing around as God pronounces judgment on their parents. Because you have not obeyed Me, you will not enter the promised land, but rather you will fall dead here in the wilderness. So they knew the consequences of disobeying God. They knew the consequences of not following after the commands of God. And so he tells them, hey, listen to your father and mother. They've, they've witnessed my judgment. They've witnessed what happens when you do not listen to me. And so if you want to enter into this promised land and you want to live there and you want to live well there, then obey your mother and father because if, you, because if you do, things will go well in the land that you're living. But guess what? If you don't, the opposite is also true. This is such a needed commandment in our society today. Because we often fail to see people honoring their father and their mother. Our society discourages giving honor to your father and mother. But before you get too off on the young people, most of them are just following the example of their parent. And they're following the example of their parent. We, we look back at the history in our culture and we see that it, it wasn't so long ago it wasn't so long ago that people honored their father and mother, at least a little bit. It's, it's hard to believe, but this week there was, a, I believe it was on July 1st, it was the 100th anniversary of one of the deadliest battles in World War I. If I remember correctly, on the first day of that battle, some 19,000 British soldiers and the group that they were made of were killed on the first day of this one battle. That's, that's more soldiers killed on that one day than have been killed in all the battles that we have fought since 9-11. 19,000 one day. We think about that generation that came back home, the ones that did, and so many didn't. And their children became the generation that fought in World War II. And we think about the, the fight that, that they put up and the, the, how resilient they were in fighting against the Nazis and saving the world from Nazi socialism. You think about that fight and that generation that came back. But my goodness, what has happened since then? 
Do you know that after they came back, those men that came back and they got married and they began having children, that was the boom in evangelical churches. It was when most people were going to church. It's just where you went on Sunday mornings. What has happened since then? I'd have to say that if we were going to be honest about everything and we can blame this or that or the other, it's because people stopped honoring their father and their mother. Because it was only a generation later when people went into fight, right? It was another war. It seems like every generation has theirs. And then instead of a nation rallying around its troops, a nation that honored their mother and father, what did they do? Well, they were a bunch of protesters and hippies. And outside of their music, which is all right, you can't really chalk up much else to that being successful. And so it's those people had kids and those people had kids and it's the kids that you don't much care for now because they're disrespectful and rude. But guess where they learned it from? This is not a commandment that stops when you turn 18. I don't see that there. I mean, 18 is a superficial number that we have made up in our country anyways. We just made it up. It's just a random number. And when do we think people are smart enough to vote? I would say probably like 50 but even then, I know some of you over 50, and I don't know if I trust you to vote, so I don't know. Maybe there's no good age to vote. What has happened? Well, people have decided that at some point they can stop honoring their father and their mother. If you've got a mother and a father or either one this morning, if they're 95 years old, stuck in a nursing home unable to take care of themselves, you have a duty to honor them the same as when you were 10 years old. Now, at some point you have to become an adult. So honoring your father and mother is not living in your parents' basement your whole life. Like that actually is the opposite of honoring your father and your mother. But you always should have a respect for them, no matter their age, I see some of you looking over here to your kids. That's slightly unfair, but okay. No matter what age you are, if you want to call yourself a person who has been delivered from the bondage of sin, you still have the responsibility to honor your father and mother. You can not always listen to them because maybe their advice is not correct. You certainly shouldn't always be dependent upon them for the things that you need. You must get out on your own and do that sort of thing. Again, that's honoring them. But regardless of what they have done, regardless of where they go, regardless of what they do, you as their child have a respect for them. Why? Because the preacher said something? No, because that's what the Bible says. There's not exceptions here. Do you see the exceptions? Let's, let's go through the exceptions. That can be the next part of the sermon. It'll be the shortest part you've ever heard because they're not here. There are no exceptions. Again, if, if, if your parents are unsaved, they're probably often going to give you advice that you can't follow because you're a Christian. But you don't have to disrespect them. You should honor them regardless of what they do regardless of who they are because they are your parents and you have been given that calling by God to honor them. Because in the end, overall in life, most parents are going to give 
advice and direction to their children that is for their benefit. And we need to keep that in mind as believers. A person who has been delivered is a person who honors their father and their mother. Let's look at the second thing. And for this, I want you to turn with me in the book of Matthew to chapter 5. You can stick a, a bookmark in Deuteronomy if you'd like to or not. That's up to you. We're probably not going to come back there. But it would, it would be wrong of me to attempt to preach this text and not give you Jesus' commentary on this text, which is obviously far better than my commentary on this text. Matthew chapter 5, and we will pick up in verse 21. So the second command here is that a person who is in relationship with God is a person who does not murder. And you might gloss over this one and say, got that one down. Never killed anybody? Wanted to. Might have could have done it. Might have could have got away with it. If you're having those thoughts, you may need to come see me for some counseling. But we can look at this one and we say, well, we've never killed anybody, so we're okay. And we can move on. And in Jesus' day, that was a prevalent thought. I had not murdered anyone. If you have a, a King James Version, it may say, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. But Jesus goes on, and He's teaching, and this is from the Sermon on the Mount, and He says this, beginning in verse 21. You've heard it said to those of old. Where's He talking about? Talking about Exodus, talking about Deuteronomy, what we're studying. You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to, a ju to judgment. So they would have sat there, yeah, that's, that's what we've heard. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Well, now, wait a second, that's, that's a little different, right? They were going off the premise that as long as you didn't kill somebody, you're okay. As long as you didn't murder someone, you're, you're good. You've kept that commandment. You could check that one off the checklist. Jesus says, but, but it's more than that. He says, because I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So, so Jesus says, if, if you have anger in your heart, You've broken that law? Now, while I won't ask anyone to throw up their hand if they've killed somebody, I think we all could throw up our hand and say we've been angry with someone. Maybe recently. Maybe, maybe someone could say, well, I've not been angry with anyone in the last week. And, and we, I think we'd all be impressed by that. That's pretty impressive. You went a whole week without being angry at someone. Jesus wants us to understand with this commandment and the one we're going to look at in just a moment that it's not simply about the action. Do not murder someone. 
but it's about the condition of our heart. And so, he's told us here that it's not simply you are guilty of this sin if you have went out and ended someone's life. He says, but you're guilty of this sin, you're liable to judgment if you have hated within your heart. If you've had anger within your heart, your heart, therefore, is not a heart that is pleasing to God. Because see, unfortunately, in Jesus' day, people would take these laws and they would feel like, okay, I can, I can keep these laws if I do these things and therefore I'm okay. I, I'm not guilty before God. My, my heart is in a good place. I, I've, not, I've not committed this sin because, because I've protected myself from murder. I've never murdered anyone and I've never committed adultery and I, and I don't steal things, so, so therefore, therefore I'm okay. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that anytime we even burn with anger, our heart reveals its fallen condition. Our heart reveals that it is a heart that is full of sin. And so we might could look and, and say, well, yes, we, we've never murdered anyone physically. We've never taken anyone's life. But, but what we realize is that we often get angry. And, and it's not the, the righteous anger that we see come out of Jesus when he is turning over the tables in the temple. We just get mad because we don't get our way. Or we just get angry because someone says something that we don't like. We get angry because someone has something that we don't have. By the way, that one gets addressed later. See, I, I want you to understand when we think about not murdering someone, obviously we are forbidden from taking someone's life. But at the same time, we need to understand that if we have anger towards someone, we think about what would it be like if they were gone. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that. If that's how we live, with a heart full of anger, then before God we stand just as guilty as the person who murders. Unfortunately, so many Christians, especially you know, church-going people from the South in the Bible Belt, we, we've got this in our mind that somehow on Judgment Day there's going to be us and everybody else. You know? Because we're going to be good. We're just going to skate on by. But, you know, all those people from New York, they're going to get it. Those people from Boston, them Californians, oh my goodness, on Judgment Day, God's going to usher them up to the front of the line because it's going to take a while. I mean, that's our our mindset. And yet Jesus, as he's teaching on the Sermon of the Mount, and on the Sermon of the Mount, he's just, he's destroying all of these ideas that his audience has about how they should live. He constantly goes back to the things that they believe, and he tears them down to give them a new perspective. He does that here so that they will understand that they have sinned when they have judgment. When they have anger. When they 
talk bad about people, when they insult their brother, they become liable. And so what's his solution? Look, he says, so if any of you, verse 23, if any of you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave the gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard to be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. He says, listen, when you when you're Your sin of anger it is so bad and has such an effect on your heart that if you attempt to come to worship and that is there and you have not been reconciled, he says, forget what you are going to do, be reconciled and then worship. He says, because if not, your worship, your giving will not be a, a, it will not be pleasing to God because you have not been reconciled to the one with whom you are angry, with one, the one to whom you have a problem. He says, go and be reconciled to them. Now, what's interesting in our culture is we've gotten so good at being so nasty toward other people that it doesn't even affect our worship because we just don't care. We just think it's appropriate. We just think it's the way we function. Now what's interesting is that as Southerners, and most of you are Southerners, either born or you've, you've adapted into our culture, that's one of the knocks, right, on people from other parts of the country is they're not very nice. You know, if you're driving down the road here, somebody might throw up a hand and wave to you. It's not uncommon to be walking through places you don't know anybody. Hey, how's it going? You know, up there they just... They're stone-faced, and they don't, you know, they don't talk to you. And yet, we're no better than they are. Again, at least they don't fake it. How many people were nasty to someone this week and then went to church this morning and sat through all the songs and the sermon and thought how great it was? And on the way home, they'll be nasty about someone at church. At least the people in other parts of the country don't fake it. They just don't go to church. They'll just be nasty to each other and it's no big deal. But here we do it in the church. Just the nastiest people that have ever been nasty to me have been in the church. Since high school, and of course most people I know are church people anyways, but, but the meanest I've seen people be toward each other was at church. And yet Jesus says when you do that, you become unworthy to come to worship until you've been reconciled. There may be people you need to go reconcile with this morning because you've not been able to worship for 20 years. You've come to church and you've thought, oh, it's great, it's, it's good, I'm good, I'm, yeah, hunky-dory, but no. You have disobeyed God because he told you to leave your offering, leave your worship, and go reconcile and then come. Have you done that? Are there names of people coming in your head as I'm saying this? You're going to have a choice to make. You can leave here and go reconcile or you can keep coming back every week with unworthy worship. See, people who have been delivered from bondage do not murder. And you say, well, that's me. I don't kill anybody. But Jesus says, you've got to go further than that. 
And then the last one. Delivered people do not commit adultery. So we go back. You don't have to flip there, but back in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18, he says, you shall not commit adultery. So that sounds good. You can say, well, I've never cheated on my wife. I've never cheated on my husband. I'm, I'm good with that. I don't have to, to I, I, that one's covered. It's taken care of. I, I can go on to the next one. Think about what Jesus said just a moment. Back in Matthew 5, the next verse, verse 27. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. He says it doesn't just stop there. He says, again, it's about your heart. He said, in the relationship with your spouse, it's not simply about what you do, although obviously that's very important. But with any sin that we commit, it always starts in our heart. Before we ever take the first action that, that the, the world can see as our sin, it starts in our heart. It starts with us thinking things we should not think and then eventually going places we should not go and being with people we should not be with. And then, then that's where the world would say, well, then we have done wrong. But, but Jesus says, you, you've got to guard your heart. Because your heart is the place where sin will originate. Your heart is the place where you will begin to get the ideas that will eventually lead you to do something that you will ultimately regret. It's our heart. And, and so often, we as Christians, we don't want to deal with the problems in our heart. We want to deal with the problems once they have happened, but we do not want to deal with the problems that derive in our heart and in our mind. We chalk those up to our fallen condition, and that is where they come from. But it does not mean that they should not be dealt with. We act like we have good control of ourselves. And yet Paul would remind us that the the things that we want to do or the things that we don't, and the things that we desperately don't want to do or the things that we end up doing. Because when we try to deal with our heart on our own, when we have no accountability to ourselves, or we have no accountability before God, we try to just take care of it, and it's not a problem, it's, it's, it's just a, a thought, it's just some anger, it's just some lust, it, it'll, it'll, it'll be okay. When we don't take care of that, it ends up becoming a much bigger problem than we thought. And so Jesus is drastic here in what he says. He says, if you have this problem, he says, if it's your eye that's causing you to sin, 
throw it away. Tear it out and throw it away. If it's your hand that's causing you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. But what is it ultimately that is causing us to sin? It's our heart. And that's why if we want to live a life of a person who has been delivered out of bondage, we have to have a new heart. And on a daily basis, we must be putting to death the sin that resides there. See, this is the amazing thing about the world, and you can see it every time you turn on the television and watch a show on TV. When it comes to this sin in particular, it's, well, it's okay to, to talk, it's, it's okay to text, it's, it's okay to communicate, as long as you don't go too far. I think you remember the illustration last week about going out to lunch with your ex-girlfriend and getting stabbed. That applies here. And again, you don't want me on the jury because your spouse is going free. I get myself on as foreman and we're voting not guilty. You got what you had coming. The world tells us it's, it's okay. It's okay what's in your heart. It's okay what's in your thoughts. Those are not important. As long as you don't act on those, you're okay. You can do whatever you, think whatever you want. Just maybe you don't act on it. Of course, the world tells us, hey, if you, if you think you can do better, act and do whatever you want to. But God is concerned with what is in our heart when it comes to honoring our parents, when it comes to murder, when it comes to adultery. God is concerned about what is in our heart, and He desires to give us a new heart. Because here's the reality about what Jesus is saying. You can pluck out your eye and still end up in hell. You can cut off your hand and still end up in hell. It is only when we remove our heart that is prone to sin and have it replaced with a new heart that comes from Christ, do we have the ability to live as one who has been delivered from bondage? And friends, that is an everyday struggle where we fight against our old heart's attempt to re-enter us and reside there. Daily, we have to kill the old person that lived within us as he or she tries to rise up and direct us away from God. We fight against that each and every day. But if we are not fighting against that, then we are losing. We are losing the battle against sin. We will be prone to dishonor our parents. Anger will build up in our heart that leads us to murder. Lust will build up in our heart that leads us away from our spouse. We must have within us a new heart. The old one has to be removed. And friends, I think this is the great struggle of the Christian faith. Because ultimately, we like our sin. Every time we tell 
Jr. to do something, his first instinct is not obedience. I don't know if you know this about two-year-olds. But it's to smile and run in the other direction. Quickly. Quickly in the other direction. The, 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 the tendency is to run away when we should honor our parents. The tendency is to harbor anger because I think, frankly, some people really live off of anger. I think some people just thrive with it. It's, 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 how, they, it's how they exist. They just like it. I mean, some people just enjoy being angry every day. And some people, I think, have been angry for so long that they really don't know any other way to live. So they like it. But God calls it murder. Others think it's, it's okay, whatever I think in my heart, as, as long as I'm faithful to my spouse. It's okay if maybe I am a little flirty with the, the girl or the guy at work. It's, it's never going to lead to anything. It, it, it's okay. It, it's okay if I, if I have thoughts about other women or other men because I'm just, I'm just thinking it. I'm not acting on it. But God says it's not okay. He says it's not representative it's not representative of a person who has been delivered from bondage. It's not representative of a person who has been commanded not to by the God who created them. And so, the fr friends, the remedy for that is a new heart. If you never have the ability to deal with the anger in your heart, I want to tell you something. If you see that as a problem, that I'm just constantly angry in my heart, I never, I'm never able to, to stamp it out, I'm never able to deal with it, I'm never able to cope with the anger that burns in my heart. Let me tell you the remedy for that. Most likely this morning, you need to be saved. You say, well, preacher, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm just so angry about everything that's going on. No, you're not a Christian. Because, friends, anger builds up in my heart a lot. And when it does, there's a voice in my head, and it's not schizophrenia, but there's a voice in my head that says, why are you letting that reside there? That's not, that's not the place. It's not the place that anger can live in your life. There's no place that anger can live in your life. Anger can't live in your heart because that's the place that I live. If that's a constant in your life, friends, you need to deal with that this morning. If you're constantly angry about everything, you need to deal with that. It will kill you. Or, and I've seen this just as often, it'll keep you alive. And it'll be all that you live on. And you'll outlive everybody. The anger will keep you going and you'll be 80 or 90 years old living off of your anger. Why? Why would you want to be that person? This morning, 
Christ has offered to deliver you from that anger. He offers you His salvation full and free as a deliverance from anger, as a deliverance from disobedience to your parents, as a deliverance from lust and adultery. He offers you that forgiveness. Friends, if you know Christ, you're convinced, I know Jesus, you've got to combat those three things in your life. If you're dishonoring your parents and have been maybe for a long time, you need to make that right. If you've got hate in your heart, you need to take care of that today. You may need to be reconciled to someone this afternoon. Do it. Just take care of it. It is no way to live being unreconciled to someone. If you have wronged them, go make it right today. Friends, if you're trying to, to get by in your marriage by, by just saying, well, I've, I've never crossed the line, that's not enough. Your husband and your wife, they deserve more than that. God demands more than that. So you may say, my husband, my wife, they don't deserve more than that, but God demands it regardless of what they deserve. You don't get to choose what they deserve. God didn't give you that ability. The world tells you that. If that's your thing, go live in the world. Don't try to live in Christ because Christ doesn't make that possible. He doesn't say that's okay. Friends, this all comes from a new heart. And if you do not have one this morning, Christ offers that to you. He died so that instead of trying to pluck out your eye to solve your problem or cut off your hand to solve your problem, He would remove your heart of stone, your heart of sin, and give you a new heart. That's what you need this morning. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we are so, so thankful and so grateful that though our hearts are sinful, God, you offer us a new heart. God, you offer us a new direction. God, you love us. And you care for us even when we are, God, so unworthy. God, we pray this morning that you forgive us where we have failed you. God, we, we beg that you would restore to us the joy that comes from having a new heart in you. God, we pray that you would Speak to us during this time. God, that we would just work. God, we would just strive in our life to combat sin. Lord God, that you would just create a new work in us. A heart that is drawn toward you. God, a heart that is free of anger, free of lust, God, free of disobedience toward you and our parents.
God, if one is gathered with us this morning who does not know you, God, I pray that you would speak to them about the new heart they can have in you. How you desire for them to set aside anger. And God, follow you. God, we praise you this morning. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for all that you're doing in our midst. And we pray this morning in Christ's precious name. Amen. I want to invite you this morning to stand with me as we get ready to sing. My hope is that this morning you would you would hear God speaking to you. Because I know we struggle with anger, and that's, that's not to say that, that we're ever going to get to the point where we don't struggle with anger. But friends, we can let that reside in our heart. We can let it live there and drive us and be the thing that keeps us going. And to do that is to directly disobey Christ. To do that is to spit in his face and say, Christ, you're not enough. I need this anger to get by. Christ wants to take the place of anything, anything that is unpleasing to him. He wants to take that place in our heart. And he calls upon us this morning to respond to his work in doing the same, to put to death in our heart lust, to put to death in our heart anger, to put to death in our heart disobedience so that we can more fully follow him. Would you respond to God's word this morning as we sing together?